the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We'd like to thank our advertisers for this podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Dr. Kirk Elliott, PhD. If you're looking for wealth management solutions and financial advice, go to KirkElliottPhD.com and make an appointment today. Welcome to the Dinesh D'Souza podcast. I'm Brandon Gill, filling in for Dinesh today while he is on the road promoting his latest documentary, Police State. I had a role in helping bring some of the uh, the movie together, which I'm very proud of. You'll see me in some small parts in the movie. Um, and I have to say, in my honest opinion, not because I was in it, but this is Dinesh's best documentary. It's definitely his most chilling. Um, it's his scariest one, and it's one that every American needs to see. Because every American needs to see what America is turning into under Biden and the left and his politicized DOJ and FBI and CIA. So if you haven't seen it, definitely check it out. It's streaming on Rumble right now. It's been a huge success so far. So make sure you watch it if you haven't already and get your friends and family to watch it as well. Like I said, I'm Brandon Gill. I'm the founder and editor of an America First news outlet called DC Inquirer. That's DC Inquirer with an E.com. I'm also on social media. I'm at Real Brandon Gill on Twitter and at Brandon Gill on Truth Social. I'm on Facebook and Instagram as well. We've got a great show today. We're actually going to be talking about the police state and the weaponization of the federal government and of law enforcement in our legal system more broadly. We've got two guests who are going to be joining us. They've both been victims of this weaponization. First, we have Joey Lynn Massaros. She's currently embroiled in a long and costly and invasive legal battle for exercising her First Amendment rights to protest a Biden bus that came through her town. They're now trying to say that she violated the 1871 Ku Klux Klan Act in absolutely just flagrantly absurd charges. Then we're going to have Mark Hook. Mark is a pro-life activist um, who had his home raided by the FBI, guns drawn, pointed at his wife and kids. He's going to be telling us his story. So it's definitely one you don't want to miss. So let's get started. Mike Lindell just keeps on introducing great deals. He's featuring the all-new My Towels. Save 50% on the six-piece towel set. Regular price is $59.96, but now for a limited time, it's only $29.98 with promo code Dinesh. Dinesh and Debbie have Mike's My Towels all over their house, and they love them for themselves, but we also love them to get them as Christmas presents. 
My towels, six-piece set, includes two bath towels, two hand towels, and two washcloths. These towels are amazing. The long staple length of Sherper cotton fibers makes them very soft because of the long fibers. They can wrap around each other more easily, creating a smoother and softer fabric. Soft to the touch without the lotion feel and super absorbent. So take advantage of the 50% off on the six-piece towel set. Call 1-800-876-0227 or go to MyPillow.com. Again, that's 1-800-876-0227 or go to MyPillow.com. And don't forget to use promo code Dinesh. That's D-I-N-E-S-H, Dinesh. Welcome to the Dinesh D'Souza podcast. I'm Brandon Gill filling in for Dinesh while he's taking a bit of time off to promote his newest documentary, Police State, which if you haven't seen, make sure you do. It's on Rumble right now. It's been in theaters. It's been it's had its virtual premiere, all been very successful. The the feedback has been phenomenal. So make sure you watch it um, and make sure you get your friends and family to watch it as well. It's one of those things that if you don't, you're going to be missing out on uh, one of the biggest political stories of the day. So make sure you do and make sure you're informed and you get everybody else to see it as well. And. Speaking of the police state, it's something that has been on the forefront of the news cycle for the past several months or really the past couple of years, especially since Biden has been in office. But I think it, it's interesting if we take a step back and realize that this isn't something that's particularly new. It's definitely ramped up and gotten a lot worse, but it's not new. This really started uh, in a very politicized way under President Obama you guys are listeners to the Dinesh D'Souza podcast, so you know Dinesh's story. It was Barack Obama who first turned the federal law enforcement agencies into weapons against his political enemies. Remember, it was Dinesh who was found guilty of a $20,000 campaign finance violation that for anybody else would have been either a slap on the wrist or virtually ignored. Hundreds of thousands of dollars of federal tax dollars were put into prosecuting him for a case that was virtually irrelevant. This has been going on for a long time, and it happened to Dinesh because right before they went after him, he made a movie about President Obama. It was a movie that exposed President Obama for being, frankly, the fraud that he actually is. Remember, he was the president who used to tell us that you are your brother's keeper, quoting scripture. And yet it was Dinesh who showed us that President Obama had a half-brother living in Africa in what we would call abject poverty, who's been virtually ignored by his family, despite the fact that his own brother was the single most powerful man on the globe. Whenever Dinesh made that, obviously it was humiliating to Obama, I think on a really, really deeply personal level in a way that uh, normal media attacks don't really get to him. So he weaponized, he, he realized that he had a, a certain le- amount of uh, legal resources at his disposal as president, and he directed those against Dinesh. But it wasn't just Dinesh. We know it was also the Tea Party. It was Obama, remember, who 
weaponized the IRS against Tea Party, conservative, and Christian organizations, giving heightened scrutiny to certain conservatives, um, auditing them and things like that that they weren't doing to liberal organizations. We all remember that. Um, but if we take a, a step back even further and we think, why why does the federal government even have the power to do a lot of these things? Why does the federal government, why are they able to wiretap our phones, for example? We're all American citizens. We all should be operating uh, with constitutional rights that are due to us because we're American citizens. And you realize that Actually, um, this comes from things that a lot of conservatives, even at the time, supported, and that's the Patriot Act. Uh, this is one area where the, the libertarians, I have to say, were 100% right. After 9-11, there was a big um, movement to make sure that no other terrorist attack would ever happen on American soil again, which on its face is a very obviously a very noble goal. Um, but that sort of noble goal metastasized into a Patriot Act, which allowed the federal government to spy on American citizens and basically gave them virtually unlimited power, all in the name of stopping terrorism. At the time, we thought that this was only going to be used against foreigners who were here, al-Qaeda terrorists, um, people who we don't tend to have a whole lot of sympathy for frankly. Um, and it was, it was for a little while and, you know, that it sort of served its purpose. But as, as the t threat of terrorism started to, to wane, the bureaucracy that was created under the Patriot Act remained. And what happened was these bureaucracies and these powers that were given to the FBI and the CIA and the Department of Homeland Security and the um, in all these other government organizations, it stayed and then it started becoming directed towards or against the people who were opponents of the people who were in power at the time, which, of course, was Obama. My point in saying all of this is that I, I think that it's useful to take a step back and think about how all of this came about so that we can understand how we can start to to fight back against the weaponized deep state. And that's what it is. It is the deep state. These are organizations that exist now primarily for their own sake, not for any other purpose. And we're going to have two guests here on the show today, which I think you're going to maybe not enjoy hearing their story, but it's going to be really important to hear what they have to say. It's not it's not something that's fun um, fun to listen to. These are victims of the deep state, victims of a corrupt, weaponized legal system in America, and victims of an FBI who's willing and ready to bust down American citizens' doors, guns blazing, pointed at children and this man's wife, um, all to promote a political agenda. So I think you're going to enjoy today. Um, it's going to be eye-opening and fascinating. So excited you're here. Dinesh and Debbie had a New Year's resolution to lose weight, and thankfully, PhD weight loss came to the rescue. Debbie has already lost 24 pounds, and Dinesh has lost 27, and they're both now on maintenance. The program is based on science and nutrition. 
no injections, no pills, no hours in the gym, no severe calorie restriction, just good, sound, scientifically proven nutrition. It's so simple. They make it easy by providing 80% of your food at no additional cost. They tell you when and what to eat. And guess what? You can do this without ever being hungry. The founder, Dr. Ashley Lucas, has her PhD in chronic disease and sports nutrition. She's also a registered dietitian. She helps people lose weight and, most importantly, maintain that weight loss for life. If you're ready to take the step of losing weight like Debbie and Dinesh have, call PhD Weight Loss and Nutrition at 864-644-1900 or find them online at myphdweightloss.com. That number again is 864-644-1900. Welcome back to the Dinesh D'Souza podcast. I'm Brandon Gill sitting in for Dinesh for a little bit while he is on a very busy media schedule promoting Police State, a movie you guys should definitely be watching. And that's something we're talking a lot about this week. Um, The weaponization of the federal government under Biden, his DOJ, his CIA, his FBI, and really the entire Democrat Party. And we've got another guest with us today. Her name is Joellen Messeros. She's a homeschooled mom. She's the founder of freespeechdefender.com, and she's being directly persecuted by the Biden Department of Justice. Joellen, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Brandon. I'm so glad to be back and very, very eager to share updates with you guys on what's going on. Great. First of all, tell us a little bit about who you are and your your political involvement. I know it's relatively recent, so tell us a bit about yourself. Yes, you're absolutely right. It is, in my opinion, brand spanking new, considering the fact (laughs) that I didn't even understand the difference between the Democrat and Republican Party in 2020, or rather, you know, coming up towards the 2020 election. That's when I started getting involved in politics. I wanted to figure out who I should vote for. uh, And I started doing some digging because I was hearing from my friend group that Trump was a white supremacist and not to vote for Trump. Uh, But I knew that as a Christian somewhere deep down that uh, I knew he didn't stand for abortion, right? And I knew that that was important to me. That was about the extent of it. And so when I started doing research, talking to friends about it, I was then becoming labeled uh, a white supremacist in that friend group. I was asked to sit there in silence or be apologizing for saying that I wanted to vote for Trump or apologizing for being white. I was so surprised at this first interaction with probably the progressive left. I didn't even realize my friend group was such. So when I came home and shared this with my husband, I was talking to him and my son overheard me and said, Mom, um, you need new friends. And so we started looking for where we could meet other like-minded people. And we found the local Trump train in our town. And we enjoyed parading around with Trump flags, meeting other like-minded people, registering people to vote, and really just for the first time ever understanding that values were important to people for a reason. And I needed to identify what my values were and to get on board with that for where our future was headed in this country. I didn't even understand I should have been paying attention to that. And it has been a fast ride Since then, uh, I pulled my son out of public school, started homeschooling him. We started studying the Constitution together, really understanding what our freedoms are, how those are connected to our God-given freedoms in the Bible and the heart of our founding fathers for our country, uh, and wanting to preserve that and really conserve that and understanding that that's what it means to be a Christian conservative. 
Absolutely. So you're pretty new to politics. You got involved, I guess, in 2020, you're saying. Mm-hmm. And there was a Biden motorcade in your town in New Braunfels, Texas. And you and some of your friends and, and other political sort of allies in the area decided to to drive beside them. Tell us about what happened. <laughs> yes, it was pretty last minute. My husband was home because he just had his um, tonsils removed and he was on his, you know, kind of last day of recovering, feeling a little bit better. I saw a Facebook post and I thought, how fun would that be? We've been making the news for the sheer size of our Trump trains, the drone footage or video from a helicopter. Well, I bet we could make the news and Trump would see us if we went to that. That would be so much fun. <laughs> you know, like it just sounded like a fun thing to do. And we were both home. And so we already had the flags on the truck because we kept them up since we paraded a couple times a week during that time. And we lined up on the side of the access road waiting to see the bus come through. And lots of people were honking. They were very excited just to see us parked there. They didn't know probably that the bus was coming. Um, But 18 wheelers were honking. People were waving their red Make America Great Again hats out of the window. Um, Everybody was just so excited at that time. So for us, it was just fun. Mm-hmm. And then and then I guess a, a Biden bus showed up and that's when things went sort of downhill, at least whenever they started coming after you. They're claiming that um, I guess you guys were racially motivated, that you were trying to stop or harass this Biden bus. You were a bunch of white supremacist Trump supporters. What what exactly what exactly happened and what are they saying happened? Yes, Brandon, it got crazy after that. That is true. So I didn't realize it was going to get crazy. Again, being new to politics, not understanding how the media works or spin things. I didn't understand that if we were on the news, that could be a bad thing. I thought it would only (laughs) be a great thing. (laughs) And so even that, so we didn't learn about the lawsuit until eight months later. So it even took a minute for that to really hit. Um, But what did happen immediately from that evening through the next two weeks was that the progressive media was saying that we tried to run the bus off the road, which is completely insane because the Biden campaign bus. This was a bus with Biden. Was Biden on it or was it more Biden campaign officials? It was campaign staffers. You're absolutely right. I think there were three or four people on the bus. It was a skeleton crew. And were were they just driving through New Braunfels? Was that just kind yes. of doing their normal campaign stuff. So apparently I've learned this way later. They had a stop, uh, I believe in San Antonio where like five people showed up and were standing in the circles mm. that are like painted on the ground for social distancing. I, I remember and then, those. Yeah. So nobody <laughs> showed up. Then they're headed, they're passing our town and headed to Austin, right? Because okay. one of the people on the bus, it, it was Wendy Davis who had, run for uh, governor in Texas and had been state mm-hmm. senator previously, and she's notorious for far-left, uh, you know, pro-female uh, reproductive rights arguments, right? And so she was on the bus. Uh, and I didn't realize that Wendy Davis loves lawfare as well. She's trigger-happy mm-hmm. with lawsuits herself. So she was on the bus. Uh, nobody else besides herself and a couple of campaign staffers, and they were doing just a campaign tour to promote Biden Harris's campaign. Um, and so they're driving through New Braunfels. We thought it would be awesome to have a Trump train, which is just a caravan of vehicles with flags behind the bus. We thought that would make a neat show of support for President Trump. But then Biden himself gets up on a press release and says, we tried to run the bus off the road and it was hmm. the most dangerous thing that could happen. And how could anybody vote for Trump? 
The View picked it up and said we were emboldened racist bigots crawling out from under our rocks and said that first we'd be flying Trump flags next to a Biden bus, but later we'd be burning crosses in people's front yards. And I was just like, what is happening? What, how could you take that from this, right? And being and this there is that- from you driving behind a Biden campaign bus with waving Trump flags and supporting Trump. Yes, on a road we pay taxes to drive on, a public road. And they didn't have any kind of a police caravan or, you know, the sheer nature of the exercise of political free speech is that it by nature creates opposition. And that's normal to exist in that space. That's why you see presidents with with, uh, escorts or why public parades you see police present, right? I mean, political free speech just creates opposition and you should be able to have two opposing points of view exist in the same space without silencing or intimidating another. And so they're claiming that we were trying to do that with them while we were just trying to coexist. They are actually effectively doing that by suing us under the Ku Klux Klan law, saying that we were racially motivated to suppress minorities from voting with our turnout. So they're suing you under it's the it's the Ku Klux Klan Act of 1871. It's a statute that's over 100 years old. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess I, I suppose that there, there are two claims that they're making. One is that there's some racial motivation here. Mm-hmm. Um, and two, that there's some act of violence that, that you're that you engaged in. What, what's your response mm-hmm. to that? Right. They they're in order to meet the requirements of using this law, they would have to be able to prove those things. They have not even met the requirements of using that law in their claims, nor have they been able to prove it because it doesn't exist, which is why we've been trying to get this lawsuit dismissed. However, our judge is Obama appointed and very biased towards the plaintiffs that are suing us. And he's denied not one, but two motions to dismiss the lawsuit, even though they haven't met the requirements of using the law. So they're claiming Mm -hmm. we premeditated a plan to run the bus off the road, even though that never happened. They're assuming that that's what we did. And they're saying it was to intimidate minorities from voting. But you may know, Brandon, with the Ku Klux Klan law, that it was put in place by Republicans to protect people of color and Republicans helping people of color work, vote, and go to school. And the point of it was to protect we the people from state actors. But what's happening here is state actors are attacking we the people with that very law, which again, does not meet the requirements of the law itself. Right. Right. And it, I, I imagine they know they don't even remotely have a case. There's mm-hmm. no way there's no evidence at all that there's any racial motivations because there wasn't. And there was obviously no violence here. So but what what they do know is that by dragging you through this process, that in itself is the punishment. It's going to be really expensive for you. Yeah. It's going to be really invasive for you. Tell Tell us about what it's been like. I mean, from the outside, and I'm sure... Uh, a lot of our listeners think the same way. It seems to me like you have a justice department that has unlimited funds. They can hire as many lawyers and litigators as they want. Um, They can hire as many investigators as they want to go into Mm -hmm. this process. And they're going after a private citizen who has uh, food that they need to put on the table and and a house that they need to pay for. I mean, it, it's so unequal. No, I mean, you can't rationally look at this and say this is a fair process just on its face, just from that alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head, Brandon. And I think a lot of people fail to grasp that. And I really appreciate your perspective on that because it has been especially torturous in this process mm-hmm. being because we have the passion and the desire 
to fight back and defend our rights and our basic freedoms, not just for our family, but for all Americans, whether we agree or disagree, free speech is a basic right. It's a God-given right, and if we give it up, it'll be impossible to get it back. Whatever outcome comes from this lawsuit would set a federal precedent that uh, determines how weaponized the law can be against what should be a protected First Amendment right. And so it's Mm -hmm. important for us to get a win here. And so with very little understanding, just a lot of passion, we started learning as quickly as we could, and we we, deter- we determined we were going to fight back, that we were not going to roll over and take it, and we weren't going to apologize for doing nothing wrong. And mm-hmm. so we cashed out our 401k, and we put it up to retain an attorney. And at that point, we dipped into our savings account. And that, at the time, was meant for my husband to start his own company. He's a plumber. We were getting to that. We had just bought a home. We were about to start his business. Everything was like we were working towards our vision of the American dream, and it just completely halted. And we took all the nest egg we had set aside for everything we had planned, and we put it towards this. And we started fundraising because we knew we, we learned quickly we were going to need a lot more than we had. We were quoted mm-hmm. somewhere between you know, five and $600,000 in legal defense fees alone. And we didn't have anywhere near that. And so I had uh, previously been a fundraiser for a nonprofit for years past. And I just felt like God prepared me for this moment uh, to be able to tell people about what was going on, speak up, speak out and raise funds so that we could continue to fight back. I was not prepared for how little support we were going to get. I initially thought those First Amendment rights nonprofits were going to step up. Our elected officials were going to be heated and talking about it. The news was going to be covering it. And boy, was I wrong. Wow. So you, you're telling me you cashed out your 401k, your husband who's been saving money to, to start his own business. I, he's a plumber, I believe, to start his own practice, I guess, mm-hmm. um, is having to put that aside so that you can defend yourself against... Yeah obviously frivolous charges from a corrupt administration. Mm-hmm. Um, tell yeah. me, what, what has the process been? I mean, financially, that's devastating. And it's, it's mm-hmm. I'm amazing to hear that you've been able to raise money. But tell us, tell us about what the process has been like. I would imagine this is an invasive process. Um, they're <sighs> trying to prove a lot of really damaging things about you. What's that been like? Yes. So... There's no rest. I mean, we are weary beyond all reason. We are so exhausted. I would say that God has been faithful to give us joy in this process and to strengthen us where we're weak. That's a constant. Um, We are determined, right? So we, we, there's, it's this balance where we're like, man, we are taking a beating, but we get up and we keep going, you know, and God is faithful and it's rewarding us in this process that our faith is there because we're like, I don't know how we're going to pay this next round of legal fees. And then God blesses us. Um, But beyond that, you know, it's like my son wakes up afraid that the FBI is going to break into the house and take and drag his family out. And it's me and my husband. And so he's like, what happens if they take both of you? What happens to me? You know, and so there aren't criminal charges. It's civil. But what he's seeing happen to families and people, he's not able to make these differentiations of what could or couldn't happen reasonably. Right. He's afraid about worst case scenario. And I worry about the same things, too. And it's this black cloud that follows us around when you have this knot in your stomach 
or your throat that hasn't let up for three years. <laughs> you know, like it, mm-hmm. it's not going anywhere and it weighs on everything and you carry it around with you with everything that you do and you try not to think about it and you try to enjoy those small moments like when a child opens his birthday presents or, you know, on Christmas morning, but it's just always there. Right, right. One of the astounding things about this is how long this takes as well. It sounds like they didn't even bring charges against you for eight months after this happened. And then I guess you were slapped sort of out of nowhere at that point. And you're three years into this. Um, Where where do you go from here? I mean, what what are the next steps and when when is this going to be over? Yeah, I had to learn about it. I was at the pool with my son. We were having a picnic and a friend called and said, uh, I'm assuming you don't know this because I feel like I would have already heard it from you, but you're all over the news and uh, you're getting sued for uh, flying Trump flags. And so I'm sorry I'm crying. (laughs) It's just, it's a lot. So Mm -hmm. uh, I thought to myself, what does that mean? I don't even understand. And this beautiful sunny day just felt like, there was that dark cloud that just hasn't gone away since then. But God has been faithful. So when we learned about it from a friend who saw it on CNN, I called my husband and he's like, don't worry, this cannot be real. This has to be political theater. Why? We would know if we were getting sued. We would know first. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until four weeks after that. So we were tortured for four weeks of not understanding what was in the news or going on before we were actually served. And then we were able to see that it was a civil complaint where multiple nonprofits were funding this lawsuit, fun, uh, prop, nonprofits that received George Soros funding, right? The same mm-hmm. nonprofits that are also suing President Trump under the same Ku Klux Klan law for January 6th. They're also suing Dinesh D'Souza under the Ku Klux Klan <laughs> law for 2000 Mules documentary, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're the same nonprofits using the same law against the same conservative people trying to silence these people. And I'm like... Holy smokes, right? And so <clears throat> it it has been a whirlwind of learning about things through the media and then catching up with it through the legal process because they constantly have press release after press release. And then we reach out to the nonprofits that I think will help fund our lawsuit. And all of the common, most popular First Amendment rights nonprofits say that they don't specialize in political free speech. They specialize in religious freedom and we fall outside their scope. So while they're flying 20 Washington, D.C. attorneys in every time we have some sort of meeting or deposition, then it's me, my husband, and the one attorney we were able to find while we fundraise with we the people support wow wow and how long do you think this is going to last are you are you nearing is there light at the end of the tunnel yeah uh, we're hoping so so like i mentioned earlier we have filed not one but two motions to dismiss this lawsuit made no progress even though we know that it should be dismissed so we filed a exceptionally rare writ of mandamus with the fifth circuit court of appeals we weren't expecting them to pick it up at all and they did by god's grace they picked Mm -hmm. it up they assigned a panel of three judges two of which were trump appointees and they replied to us saying, not only are you correct with the two instances that you cited, we'd like to add four more indicating how this should not be standing in federal court. And we'd like to redirect you back to your judge to file another motion to dismiss. And we're confident that he will dismiss this lawsuit. If he does not, we will hear your case at the Fifth Circuit. So we're expecting this process, you know, while that's an encouraging word of good news, it still feels like get to the back of the line and try again, take another number, uh, another eight months, maybe I would think we'll probably be in this five or six years or more before it's all over. So I'm hoping we're maybe halfway through, 
Um, wow. But this is why it's important for me to be able to learn how to enjoy the moments with my child while yeah. he could be completely grown up and aged out by the time this is over. And if I put all my time and energy into this, I'm going to miss that with him. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, it's amazing that you're not backing down for this. It's so important. Um, and it's so important for people to realize that, again, it doesn't matter how frivolous this stuff is. It's the the process that is intended to destroy you and to make an example out of you. Um, it's amazing whenever you look at this. Every time there's a Black Lives Matter riot, all we hear about is how it's so important while they're burning buildings yeah. down and beating up innocent people in the streets. It's so important that we make sure that these people have their First Amendment rights. They need to be able to vent. Nothing happens. Um, you see the same thing on college campuses like every other week yes. whenever a conservative speaker comes in and t- says something that you know we believed for 2,000 years up until five minutes ago. And the students are pushing and shoving each other. They're mm. trying to, to harass the speaker. They're violent. And again, all we're told is that this is a First Amendment right. and We have to let them do what they want. And yet, whenever you guys are driving on a public highway, that's considered harassment. <laughs> and the legal system comes after you with the intent to destroy you. So it's so amazing that you guys aren't backing down, down yeah. from that. Thank you so much. I I think that is just a testament of God's goodness and God's grace. It's also amazing because when he picked us for this, I believe God picked us, not them. They think they're picking on us. God picked us. When God picked us for this, we were brand spanking new. We weren't educated, qualified, equipped. We had we put a flag on our truck and we showed up. And God said, I'm going to use those people, right? And so mm-hmm. what an honor that we get to be a part of something that could possibly defend free speech rights for everybody, for future generations to come. And I believe anything God sets his mind to, he's victorious in. So we just have to walk through it and get through to the other side of it. God will accomplish what he wants to accomplish. And in this process, he has given us so much passion and so much of a voice that we never had before. So like I was mentioning to you off camera, uh, a recent cross I pick up to carry is fighting the sexually explicit and pornographic books in the public library of our local libraries in this town. Um, because Mm. we've got so many people moving from California to in Austin to New Braunfels and they're trying to a conservative town. Yes, Mm. a very conservative town. And they're bringing these values through the education and the library systems. And so we're pushing back against that face to face with the mayor, face to face with city council. This is not a voice I would have had before this. And I can't help but thank the people that are suing us and God for just helping us figure (laughs) out what's important to us and how to get engaged. And so when good things happen to bad people, great things can come from it. And I would just encourage people who are watching not to be intimidated and not to back down and to remember now is the time to speak up while we still can, especially for future generations. Absolutely. What, What can we do to help Yeah. Thank you so much. We need help. We need help telling our story because not enough people know this is going on. We need financial support so we can continue to stay in this fight and we need prayerful support. So we created a website called freespeechdefender.com. 
freespeechdefender.com. And at freespeechdefender.com, you can learn about our story. There's a 90-second video you can share on social media or with friends and family. We post updates on our Legal Updates tab. There's a Give tab where people can access our fundraiser and other ways to support us, as well as purchase merchandise that goes towards our fight to defend free speech. And our fundraiser is through Give, Send, Go, which is a Christian-based platform that has embraced our cause, and we're so grateful for that. And so our fundraiser is listed at freespeechdefender.com, but can also be accessed at givesendgo.com forward slash Masaros, which is our last name. Got it. Givesendgo.com forward slash Masaros. Joey Lynn, thanks for joining us. We really appreciate it. You're doing phenomenal work. So thanks for coming. Thank you, Brandon. God bless you guys for covering our story. And thank you all for everything you're doing for Americans, too. Thank you. Dinesh and Debbie started taking Relief Factor two years ago, and the difference they've seen in their joints the past two years has been nothing short of amazing. Aches and pains are gone thanks to this 100% drug-free solution called Relief Factor. Relief Factor supports your body's fight against inflammation that's the source of aches and pains. More than 1 million people have tried Relief Factor, and about 70% have gone on to order more. Debbie's been able to do all the exercises that for several years she wasn't able to do. It's been a game changer for her, her aunt, other members of our family, and for many other people. You too can benefit. Try it for yourself by ordering the three-week quick start for the discounted price of only $19.95. Go to relieffactor.com or call 800-4-RELIEF to find out more about this offer. That's relieffactor.com or call 800-4-RELIEF. Feel the difference. Welcome back to the Dinesh D'Souza podcast. I'm Brandon Gill. Filling in for Dinesh today while he's out on the road discussing police state, which again, if you haven't seen, you definitely need to watch it. It's streaming on Rumble. And one of the people who is in police state is also with us right here. Mark Hook is a pro-life activist. He's now a congressional candidate, um, and he's somebody who's been directly targeted by the FBI at his house raided FBI agents flooding into his home, guns drawn, pointed at his wife and kids at, I think, 630 in the morning. So he's going to tell us his story. So, But Mark, thanks for joining us. Oh, great, Brandon. Thanks for having me. Mark, if we, we know a bit about your story, but why don't we take a step back and help us understand you know, who you are. You have a pro-life ministry um, that's in Philadelphia or, or works in the Philadelphia area. Tell us a little bit about that and tell us about the day that you had a bit of a uh, sort of sidewalk scuffle and what happened outside of an abortion facility there. Sure. So about 20 years ago, I started a men's ministry called the King's Men. And um, as part of our work, we we do um, activism. Uh, We work with men all around the country and the world. But uh, some of our work involves taking our faith to action. It's a Catholic Christian men's apostolate. So We'll go into the city of Philadelphia. I will personally, and I have been for the last 20 years, uh, going down and doing sidewalk counseling in the city of Philadelphia. And uh, we're part of 40 Days for Life. We'll we'll do that, too. Uh, So on on October 13th, the the date you alluded to, 2021, I was there with my son. And there was a bit of an altercation uh, that was out of the ordinary. I mean, normally there's a lot of, you know... um, bad language and vulgarity. But uh, on this day, my son, my 12 year old boy was with me and he had been coming with me all year. Uh, so he, he was used to some of the stuff I previously mentioned, but this on this particular day, 
he became a target. He became a target of, of uh, a volunteer within the Planned Parenthood that was uh, was the facility I was at, and uh, it basically just violated his personal space and continued to badger him and bully him and verbally abuse him. And as a dad, I just I had to take control of that situation, and I did. And and we we diffused the the situation. Unfortunately, it put me into a, a private criminal complaint, which was totally dismissed in the Philadelphia State Court system. Uh, but apparently the FBI and the DOJ wanted to make uh, more of an issue of it. Right. So you were outside of a Planned Parenthood in Philadelphia. What were you guys doing there? Is this a protest or what exactly What exactly were, were you just, doing? Yeah, peaceful prayer vigil where we're there weekly to um, do prayer vigil. Counseling. That's right. Okay. Pray and offer assistance to women and men and, and, and try to intercede and intervene on behalf of the child in the womb uh, at the 11th hour. And uh, we have a pregnancy resource center that's right there that we can escort women uh, to if they'd like to get those resources. Okay, got it. And one of the the staff members at this Planned Parenthood obviously had a problem with with you guys praying near them, and he started harassing. What did he do to your son exactly? Yeah, and what, he, and not, what did you do? Yeah, he's not a staff member; he's a volunteer. Got so it. he doesn't he doesn't work for Planned Parenthood. He's just a volunteer, and and what they do, they're escorts. They're outside the building, and so I was indicted under the Face Act, which we'll get into, and that that applies to people in the building, people who actually are staff. It doesn't mm-hmm. apply to the people outside the building. Nonetheless, on this particular day, to your question, um, yeah, he was harassing, and when I say harassing, badgering my son, talking to my son, which he, you know, my son has no interest in talking to him, uh, saying lewd things, saying things to his dad uh, about his dad, rather. Yeah, he could talk to me all he wants, but talking to my son, getting into his his personal space, and and, and informing my son about how evil his father is and, and just badgering mm-hmm. him incessantly on that level, which I eventually said, look, you got to stop. And he wouldn't stop. I said, look, this is my last warning. You have to stop. You leave the boy alone. I escorted him mm-hmm. back uh, to where he normally is. And then he turned around to come right back at my son. At that point, I pushed the man. He did fall to the ground. Um, and that was the, 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 that was all it was at that point. Got it. So this is something that uh, happens all the time in Philadelphia. It, in fact, it's a pretty mild version of the kind of violence that happens in Philadelphia all the time, if you, if you even want to call this violence, really. Right. Um, but I guess the way it works, if, I'm, if I understand the FACE Act correctly, is their, their claim was that you were impeding somebody's access to an abortion. Now, to your point, this didn't, does, doesn't even apply to the FACE Act because you weren't in the facility itself. So it's not well, even remotely applicable. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't in the facility, nor was even I was even at the front of the entrance, which is even more applicable, right? If you're going to apply it, I was 50 feet away from the entrance, and there were no women seeking an abortion or exiting at that point. It was just me, my son, and this guy. So mm-hmm. it really had nothing to do in the normal application of it. Got it. But even to the extent that, that it did, what's amazing to me as, as a bit of an aside with the FACE Act is that you can do the exact same thing in two different scenarios. And if in, the, in scenario one, your intention is just to bully some random person on the sidewalk and you harass them, in Philadelphia, it's probably going to get completely ignored. Nobody really cares. But if you do that with the intention of impeding the, the operations of an infanticide mill – 
then you could face up to 10, 10 years in prison. That seems unbelievably evil to me, like an unbelievably wicked statute. Yeah, it, it's bad law, and uh, it was established in 1993, 1994, with Ted Kennedy and, uh, and Bill Clinton signed it into law. And it was really designed to just stop what was the rescue movement at that time, where people would literally barricade themselves in front of the doorways. And it did, it did effectively do that. Um, mm-hmm. But now it's being applied to people just standing on the sidewalk praying. Um, mm-hmm. It's really, again, bad law. And it's it's and it, it and by design, it's supposed to actually protect churches and pregnancy resources. But they're not even applying it. The, the DOJ is not even applying it to all the bad things that are happening to those facilities and those churches. Right. So, again, it's just a, an abuse altogether. Right. Exactly. And then what happened after that? So. Were police involved? Eventually, the FBI raided your apartment or your house. Excuse me. How long was it between that event and your house being raided? Yeah, almost a full year. So by the time a full we had, year. Yeah, it was September twenty third, twenty twenty two, which was pretty much last week uh, <laughs> prior to this interview. Um, so essentially, it was dismissed in April of twenty twenty two. That little incident, mm-hmm. and then the feds picked it up five days later. Uh, with a, an, a target letter saying I was a target of a federal grand jury investigation. That didn't go anywhere. And then, of course, Dobbs is leaked and it's overturned and then Mar-a-Lago happens and then people are getting arrested. But by a September, I didn't think anything was going to happen to me. So on mm-hmm. that Friday morning at 630 in the morning when I was getting up, my family were going to go to our homeschool co-op. I was not expecting because we had told the FBI, hey, if you if you're going to indict him, uh, just tell us we'll, we'll bring him into you. He's a peaceful man. No need to alarm his family. This is what my attorney said. So right. we told the DOJ, look, don't waste the taxpayer dollars. This guy's he's going to cooperate. He's got he's not a threat to the community. He's, he's mm-hmm. a good man. He's a peaceful man. We'll bring him to you. They didn't want, they didn't want to have any of it. It was it was a, they wanted to punish, humiliate, intimidate and and really just uh you know, come and terrorize our family and my children and everyone else in the pro-life movement for that matter. And the mission accomplished. They, they did do that. So d- tell us about it. What, how did the raid come about? When was it? it? It sounds like it kind of came out of nowhere from your perspective, at least you weren't expecting it. So d- sort of walk us through what happened. Yeah. So again, it was a Friday morning. It was uh, six 30 in the morning. It was dark, you know, it's not 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 sunlight at that point, and so it's a it's a nighttime raid, an early a pre dawn raid. Uh, my children are all asleep. I have seven children, ages at the time, uh, uh, two all the way up to thirteen. So you know, they're all asleep. They're in a slumber. My wife is barely awake, and I'm downstairs. Uh, thankfully awake and, and preparing the home for the day. So um, you know, they came to my door, uh, and I'm going to only tell you that it's a minimum. 20 plus law enforcement on my property. We had 10 plus marked and unmarked units on my property. Uh, there was a heavy bang at my door, not even a, a, a simple knock or, you know, can you come to the door? You know, FBI, we have, we have some, something we need to share with you. It was a heavy bang as if to say there's a sense of urgency here. Something bad is out happening outside. You need to get to this door right away or we're coming in. So I didn't even know when they banged on the door. They just said open up. 
And of course, you know, who's going to, who's going to do that if they don't want something bad to happen, you're not going to do that. So I go to the door and I ask them to announce themselves. And of course they did. And they did it in the same manner, banged on the door, rang my doorbell. All my children are awake at this point, screaming, scared. Uh, And I open the door and, and there's five federal agents on my porch with all these other PA state troopers and SWAT people behind my door, uh, in the back door rather, um, with M16 long guns pointed at me. And, uh, and so that's, that's how they came at me, you know, two battering rams, ballistic helmets, ballistic shields, heavily armored vests. You know, I'm a peaceful guy. I'm a ministry guy. Like this was not necessary. So it was as if I was a violent offender. That's how they came at me. I was a, a flight risk and, and someone who, who was a threat to the community. So um, that's exactly how they prepared that high risk grade. And it, it was unnecessary and certainly uncalled for. And you know what, Brandon, um, one of, it, it, it's, it's, it's a miracle that one of my children weren't shot or I personally wasn't shot. Right. I mean, do you have a, a family waking up from, you know, still in a, a bit of a slumbered state? Right. Including two year olds with guns pointed at them. I mean, if anybody who knows anything about gun safety knows you don't point a gun at somebody unless you have at least an intention of potentially shooting them. Um, sure. So you have all these people probably, I'm sure your younger kids were scared out of their minds seeing this. I mean, that would be terrifying to any two or three year old. Well, I have um, a I have a four and a five year old as well, and they they can't process that exactly. Go ahead. Right. So, so they come to your house and they're they're busting down your door practically. And they what do they do next? They are they wanting to take you away? Are they wanting to question you? And and what do you think is the purpose of this kind of just overwhelming force? Well, they really didn't seem. They seem to be in shock that they didn't bust down the door. I think I think when they bring a high risk raid, their goal within within seconds of banging on the door is to open the door themselves, secure the property, and secure the suspect. I think that's what they're used to doing. Mm-hmm. I happened to be there right at the door, so I came out at them. I think it kind of surprised <laughs> them. And my uh-huh. hands were up. I totally was submitting to everything. And they really didn't have a lot to say. In fact, I had to ask them, what are you doing here? Because they really didn't tell me. They didn't say, we have a warrant for your arrest. You're being in, uh, you know, indicted under the FACE Act. They didn't say any of that. They patted me down a little bit. But that was it. And I just said, you know, you wouldn't be here if the Trump administration was in the White House. And, mm-hmm. and they, they really didn't know what to say to that. My wife comes down and says, who are you here for? She totally takes control of the situation. The feds are on their heels and they say, well, we're here for him. I mean, like, again, like just where's the professionalism? Like, you know, (laughs) your husband's being indicted, you know, none of that. And she said, what's his name? And they told told him uh, her, my name. And then she said, do you have a warrant for his arrest? And they said, we're taking him with or without a warrant. So this was the mindset of the federal government. It's like, look, we don't care whether you're guilty. We're mm-hmm. taking you. We're taking you because, as you said, part of the show, the process is the punishment. We want to punish you first. Then mm-hmm. we'll find the crime later. And I think this is, plays out beautifully in the police state, the way Dinesh uh, you know, set it all up. Right. I, in a, a dark beauty, I guess we should say. But um, well, from a production movie right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. so, th- so they take you away, um, and w- what do they want? Are, are they trying to throw you in jail at that point, or what's the purpose of, of doing any of this? I, I wouldn't think somebody who violated the FACE Act would be somebody who needs to sit in jail 
you know, for days and weeks on end prior to trial. Yeah. So look, I don't even know at this point. I, I, I just, I comply with them because my children are screaming, they're downrange, they're, they're in the mm-hmm. line of fire. My wife's in the line of fire. Uh, you know, they yell, please don't take him. He's my best friend. My youngest boy yells that. And, and look, they just take me. I can't say goodbye. They don't even let me put clothes on. I have a t-shirt and shorts. It's cold out. You know, normally an FBI would just say, sir, finish your coffee. We're taking you downtown. No, not mm-hmm. at all. So I'm cuffed in front of my children. I'm taking downtown, which is an hour plus, hour and a half drive. I'm at the Federal Building in Philadelphia, which is 100 yards from Independence Hall. And uh, they, they fingerprint me, and uh, they put me in a white room. Now, prior to putting me in a white room, they belly shackle me and shackle my ankles. And then they chain me to a table for six hours. Now, I'm in their custody. Why does that need to even happen? Mm-hmm. If but to just punish, humiliate, and, and put me into a rage. And I think that's what they wanted. But I was mm-hmm. at I, I had perfect peace. Six hours. Hey, man, you can let me here for another four hours. Now, I don't even know if I'm going to be returned to my family. They didn't right. tell me this. The January 6th people are already still in prison. And they've been in there for two years now. So I don't know when I'm coming back. But you know what? We're just trusting God with that. And uh, But they did release me. Uh, about uh, seven hours later, and I was returning to my family after 10 hours of that ordeal. Mm-hmm. It seems like, as you're describing it, the purpose was to get a rise out of you. I mean, if you, you're in at least semi-rural Pennsylvania, if you show up to somebody's house in Pennsylvania and rural places in the country banging on their door at 630 in the morning, there's a really good chance they're going to show up with a shotgun on the other side of the door. For sure. For sure. I think think they were counting on it, Brandon, because I don't own a gun, but everybody in in my community does. I mean, it's mm -hmm. deer country here. So I got I got 2000 acres of state game lands. There's deer everywhere. So we all have guns except me because I don't want the armory in my house with my little ones. But I love guns. I can shoot guns. Uh, I think they were expecting that, and I and I think they had uh, every intention of uh, of shooting me. I think that, that was mm-hmm. at least a secondary hope. It, it, the guy that came to his door in Utah, Mister Roberson, I think his name was, he came to the door with his cane in his hand, and they mm-hmm. shot him. They shot him right there because uh, mm-hmm. it was a threat. So thanks be to God, I didn't have anything. And mm-hmm. like again, if they did their homework, they would have known I wouldn't have had anything. Right, right, exactly. And then it was to humiliate you and just upset you, sit you in a room. I mean, I would be kind of annoyed if I was sat in a room for <laughs> for six hours. Um, and all while they're talking to you and they know that if you say anything to them and then contradict yourself later, you're liable for making false statements to law enforcement. Sure. It, the, the entire thing is to set you up for failure. Surely. Um, what, what was the process like after that? I mean, you had you had a pretty... Um, lengthy legal battle with these guys. Um, t- tell us about that. Yeah, sure. Well, I was immediately arraigned uh, five days later, you know, uh, before the judge, the magistrate, uh, the judge that would take the case, Judge Gerald Papert, um, who would be assigned uh, to the to the trial. The trial was set pretty quickly, actually. You know, the Paul Vaughn, the guys, some of the guys, they're still waiting their trial. My trial was scheduled very quickly, January 24th. So I knew on April, on September 27th uh, that I had trial in four and a half months. So I didn't have okay. a, lot, a lot of wait time, even though it was agonizing. I was facing 11 years in prison, $350,000 in fines, three years supervised probation. And, uh, you know, I had an assault charge on me. So I'm looking at max security time. I'm looking at, you know, hard time. 
So, mm-hmm. um, you know, this is the reality. When the government comes after you, Brandon, they have a 98% conviction rate. So you're going to lose. So we were all preparing our heart for that, even though we knew we were innocent. We mm-hmm. still had to prepare for it. So it, it was pretty... Um, it was pretty daunting to kind of travel that way, knowing that likely you're not going to get a fair trial, knowing that a jury of your peers is not going to be uh, impartial, and mm-hmm. um, and you're gonna and you're gonna face what you need to face. So um, you know we prepared our hearts for that. Um, it was dark at times. We had a lot of support. People from all over the country and the world were sending support, love, messages, encouragement, financial support for the legal fight. We had the Thomas More Society, who's I call the cavalry. Uh, they come and they they rescue those that, that need the help. I had a great attorney in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. Jesse Barrett, Amy Coney Barrett's husband recommended this attorney and wow. he said he's the best attorney in philadelphia you, that's who you need and we got him thanks to thomas more society we got him and uh he was great brian mcmonagle did a fantastic job but even up to the 11th hour he said mark i i think you're going to lose this is after the trial mm-hmm. i think you're mm-hmm. going to lose uh, but it was miraculous what happened it was unanimous verdict i mean what happened with the jury was was purely miraculous if you want to get into it but um but, um, you know, the government really couldn't run away from the truth. My son testified on mm-hmm. the stand. And, um, you know, that's daunting for a 14-year-old. You know, his dad's yeah. 11 years. And if I, he says something wrong, his dad's going away, you know. So right. can you imagine the stress on that mm-hmm. boy? It, it's incredible. But, but you won. And um, now you're turning the tables on the federal government. And you're, you filed a lawsuit against them now. Yeah, that's going to actually happen within the next week or so. But yes, we're in the process mm-hmm. and it's almost finalized. But yes, we're suing the government because they need to be held accountable mm-hmm. and they need to be punished uh, as well you know, for, for what they're doing because they'll mm-hmm. keep doing it. And the United States versus Mark Halk, you know, I don't know if your audience know or, or Dinesh knew this, but they offered me a plea. Now, the federal government never offers a plea deal because mm-hmm. they always win. But they offered me a plea on January 6th, two weeks before my trial, of all days, January 6th. It was no time, no fine, no probation. Just plead guilty to the assault charge. And that would have been a misdemeanor felony. But nonetheless, they wanted their conviction. And Mm -hmm. uh, what does this tell you? We said no. They were flabbergasted that we said no. (laughs) This tells you that this is the game they're playing. Like, look, Mm -hmm. scare this guy. He'll take the deal. But, you know, we said, no, we ain't taking the deal. We want to risk everything. And so United States versus Half now protects a lot of people on the sidewalk. And mm-hmm. then I don't think the government was expecting it, nor were they expecting me to run for Congress at this point. Right. That I mean, it, it's incredible. So now uh, you're a free man. You're running for Congress. Um, tell us about that. What, uh, how's your campaign going and uh, where do you go from here? Yeah, so we're, you know, we're grassroots, right? Because that's who we are as people. And uh, we have uh, an incumbent that I'm challenging here in the first district of Pennsylvania, who's been in for five terms now. This would be his fifth term, rather. And uh, you know, he's the only F- former FBI agent in Congress right now. His name is Brian Fitzpatrick. And, mm-hmm. you know, as God would have it, that narrative is very interesting, isn't it? He did not support me. He did not uh, condemn what happened. He didn't say wow. you know, this was wrong. I'm his constituent. You know, I knew his brother, who was a congressman before him. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's just a shame. It's a shame to see the lack of integrity. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, that's what we're doing. We're bringing common sense. The campaign's off to a good start. We got a lot of work to do. Um, you know, people can support us at howkforcongress.com if they want to. Got it. Howkforcongress.com. Mark, thanks for joining us. We really yeah. appreciate it.
Last month, the G20 announced that it welcomed discussion of the effects of implementing central bank digital currencies in their countries. These digital currencies could allow the government to track every purchase you make. They could even allow officials to prohibit you from purchasing certain products or easily freeze or seize part or all of your money. In essence, they could enable the government to take more control over your finances. Concerned Americans are diversifying their assets into physical gold with the help of Birch Gold Group. If you want a physical asset held in a tax-sheltered retirement account, you should call Birch Gold Group too. Dinesh and Debbie are customers. They buy their gold through Birch Gold. But find out for yourself. Text Dinesh to 989-898 and they'll send you a free info kit on gold. Here's the easiest way to become a Birch Gold customer. If you have an IRA or a 401k from a previous employer just gathering dust, Birch Gold can help you convert it into an IRA in gold and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. Text Dinesh to 989-898. Claim your free info kit on gold. Then call them because if digital currency becomes a reality, it'll be nice to have some gold to fall back on. That wraps things up for today. Thanks for joining us. Again, this is Brandon Gill filling in for Dinesh D'Souza today while Dinesh is promoting Police State. Again, Police State is a movie that you absolutely need to watch. Get your friends, get your family. Um, You can stream it on Rumble. It's doing phenomenally. Everybody's talking about it, so don't miss out. Um, And again, you can find me. I'm Brandon Gill on social media at Real Brandon Gill. I'm on Truth Social at just Brandon Gill. And I'm also on Twitter, uh, excuse me, on Facebook and Instagram as well. Check out my website, DC Inquirer. That's DC Inquirer with an E. And again, make sure you find Police State on Rumble. Thanks for joining us. Subscribe to the Dinesh D'Souza podcast on Apple, Google, and Spotify. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.